Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Lily's got some interesting facts to share about how animals see in the dark. I'm going to be speaking with someone who experienced violence and how nature healed their PTSD. I've got some tips for people with partial sight in terms of how to see in different light situations and a reflection to share about living in the Arctic when there's very little light. Come on, Lewis, let's go find Lily. Hey, Lily. Hi. Lily, as you know, we just snapped back to daylight savings time. Did you make it through the change okay? Yeah, it was fine for me. I didn't get any tired. I I mean, it's easier to get up for school. I, I wake up earlier than I do normally, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. And then you go to bed more tired though too, right? Nah, no, I'm really good with sleep. I can survive fully functioning off of like three hours a night, so oh I'm okay. Oh my goodness, that's not enough. Well, it is for me. Lily, it also means we're going to lose a good portion of our daylight coming up soon with winter about to come. We're going to have a lot less light. Yeah, no, especially like the further up you go, the further up north. It must really suck to live in a place where like daylight kind of just stops showing up each day. I feel like it could be really cool, but having motivation to go outside must really not be good, you know? Like, I'd want to stay inside and do nothing all day. But what about animals, Lily, that prefer the dark? Well, a lot of nocturnal animals have a special layer at the back of their eyes. Oh, yeah? So tucked behind the retina, called a tepitum lucidum. And if your cat's eyes shine in a flash photo, it's the reflector that is, that is causing the light to bounce. How does it work? When light enters the eye, it's supposed to hit a photoreceptor that transmits the information to the brain. But sometimes the light doesn't hit the photoreceptor, so the tapetum lucidum acts as a mirror to bounce it back for a second chance. Besides cats, what other animals possess this ability? A large number of animals have the tapetum lucidum, including deer, dogs, cats, cattle, horses, and ferrets. What about wolves? Well, yeah, they're technically kind of dog. Yeah. So that's what they're famous for, their eyes shining in the dark and scaring people sitting around campfires. Oh, yeah. Lots of good poetry by Robert Service has been written on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Lily, you know, some fish have this ability too, and I'm thinking of walleye, right? They prefer to feed at low light or no light situations, either really early in the morning or late in the day and at night as well. And when you catch them, the one thing you notice is their eyes are really big. No, this is cool. So not all animals that possess eyes with tapetum lucidum have eyes that glow in the dark the same color. So this is due to different substances like riboflavin or zinc in the in an animal's tapetum. Okay. <laughs> so also there are like varying amounts of pigment within the retina that can affect the color. Age and other factors also can change the color. So even two dogs of the same species could have eyes that glow different colors. Do you have some examples of the different colors that are reflected in uh, different animals' eyes? Cats often have eyes that glow bright green, Ooh. though Siamese cats' eyes often glow bright yellow. Wow. Cat eyes reflect brighter than a dog's eyes, and miniature schnauzers have eyes that tend to glow turquoise, which is a common reflective color in red. Wow, turquoise. Why don't humans have this ability? We used to, but... 
our particular ancestral line lost this ability more than 40 million years ago. Really? So our ancient forebearers were small insect hunting primates with eyes as big as their brains. Wow. But as our descendants of these big eyed primates, you know, they started to explore and forage increasingly more during the daytime. Yeah. Big eyes were not really needed anymore. And over millions of years, we lost the ability. Lily, thanks for this very illuminating bit of information. Many of us have experienced trauma in our lives, physical, emotional, mental, how we got through it, how it's impacted us, the supports we sought, the things we tried. It's different for each of us, but it's a path and it's one that's out of sight if we don't talk about it. Our next guest is someone who has experienced a fair bit of trauma in her life and has found nature as a tremendous source of healing. Welcome, Sonia Hardy, to the uh, Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We met through fishing, uh, Facebook live streaming thing I do Monday nights. You're an avid angler, but you haven't always been an avid angler. You've got a, a path, and that's why we're talking today. Well, one health healing path. And I talk a lot about how nature can heal. You are like a, a poster child for healing <laughs> in nature. Well. <laughs> I'm happy to be. It's been a tremendous outlet for me, for sure. In 2015, I was working at a, an overnight pharmacy drugstore, uh, kind of um, on my own. The rest of my staff was in the back in the receiving department. And uh, two guys came in in masks and uh, with weapons and uh, and proceeded to, to try to rob the store. Uh, so the police came in there and uh, they were arrested in there. But it was a, a very traumatic thing. I was not able to return to work there. I was just literally afraid of everybody that came in after that. And then, uh, unfortunately, four months after that, I heard a gunshot one night and I called 911 and I proceeded to be a witness to a neighbor who had been out there with a gun. When the police pulled up, he started shooting his weapon at the police and they shot back nine times and I watched him get shot and ended up in court for trials two times for that. Yeah, if that wasn't the icing on the cake, the building that I was living ended up burning down. And so it was uh, it's 24 families left homeless from that. And I ended up actually in a shelter for a few months after that, waiting for a, a new uh, place to live. And, you know, I don't care how much money or how much insurance or whatever anybody has. When you go through a fire, it's it's traumatic. You lose your security and your safety and, you know, things that we all aspire to have in our life. Did you lose your pet? I, I can hear a bird in the background. I do. I have I have three parrots. I did lose a little budgie in the fire. Thank God for on the Brampton Animal Services kept my parrots uh, housed for the three months while I was in the shelter and I would visit them daily. Three horrible things. Yes. You know, any one of those things could be considered a traumatic event for anybody. But three in right. a row, that's a gut punch and, and, and yeah. you, you suffered because of it. Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, you know, I spent the whole time basically in between the uh, the robbery and the fire isolating myself. You know, I lost relationships. You know, I, I didn't even have 
you know, I, I, my friends, even family, I lost relationships with, and I, I didn't trust people at all. And then, of course, COVID came along during that, and everybody was walking around on the streets with masks on their face. So that was that was really bad too. Trigger. Like, you that know, that was a trigger for the Robert. yeah, wow. for sure, wow. for sure, it was bad. I, I I didn't know what people's intentions were, or mm. if they were hiding for a reason, or you know. So so it was really hard. So I was in a clinical therapy for five years, uh, weekly sessions. Wow. When did you start seeing the turnaround in terms of your recovery and and getting your life back? After the fire, I ended up in Port Credit. Yeah. And I started seeing these beautiful boats and kayaks and people, you know, just outdoor doing all kinds of cycling and whatever. And and I thought, hey, you know what? That kayaking thing looks looks pretty good. And I think, you know, I can do that by myself. I don't have to be around people to do that. I can I can still be on my own. You know, I don't have to be interacting with 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 people outside. Yeah. So I got myself a little kayak and I started going out on the Credit River and I would see a, a deer or snapping turtles or eagles swooping down and getting fish. And like, you know, even though I was in the middle of a, a big city, I felt like I was in the middle of nowhere. And I felt like, uh, you know, it was humbling, like it was something yeah. I was part of something bigger than me, you know, when there was more out there to experience they say that's a super important feeling and we don't get that nearly enough. And But it happens on the water. And even for me, as someone without sight, when I'm on the water and you know, my ears open up and extend yeah. out to all directions and I real feel so insignificant and so tiny in this huge it's so world, true. It's, it's an important uh, reality check. You know, even when I catch a fish, I feel like literally that... I, you know, I'm imprinted in that fish's life for the rest of its life. And it's imprinted in mine. Like it makes you feel really, yes, like you are, you know, a part of history almost, you know, and that makes you feel important, you know? Yeah. Wow. So, so you got, you, you went from kayak to kayak fishing. Yeah. You know, I started to realize that people out on the water were out there you know, not even people on the water, but around the water are looking for the same thing as me. They were looking for peace and they were looking for tranquility and they weren't threatening. You know, they they weren't skulking around and acting suspiciously. Everybody was actually more friendly, more open and more willing to talk around the water. And, you know, I actually did share my story with quite a few people around the water because, you know, I love to talk. And we do sometimes get into those conversations because people will ask me, how did I end up doing this? So I will share. It was just nice to meet people that were open and friendly, you know, and and I think just being outside and around the water just does that for people. It's true. I mean, it's like sitting down on the bus and someone sits beside you or on the plane or the train and, you know, and then something happens and just the two of you start talking. And it's amazing yeah. how how you can share personal stuff that you wouldn't normally share with people you're cl- close to. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to see this person again, so I can really be honest and, and try a few things and say a few things, and just get some reaction. And Yeah, um, you know, I, I've met people out there that almost like they feel it feels like somebody you've met before almost like, yeah. you know. Just because you have similar experiences or experiences that might not be similar at all, but it's just the same human experience. Where do you think the nature side of things? I mean, the talk therapy for sure. 
like we understand the role of talking. You know, the first thing about getting over a loss is you have to accept it. And part of accepting it is being able to talk about it without getting mad or sad or depressed or crying or, you know, angry. You know, it's a, and, and the best way to do that is just talk your way through it. But exactly. where, did, where did nature come in? Like you're in the middle of Toronto. Poor credit is kind of in the middle of Toronto. I mean, it's all developed there. <laughs> yeah. It is really. But like I said, when I'm out there on the river and I'm looking at the trees and the animals and everything I'm seeing around me, like I, I don't know where I am in my mind. You know, I, I'm in the middle of, you know, anywhere. I could be anywhere I I want to be. It's just, I think a, a thing where, you know, you don't have to limit yourself to like, oh, I'm still downtown in Toronto or Mississauga or wherever I am. I can be wherever I want to be. There's trees and there's deer, you know, big snapping turtles. Like, you know, anything, you just need to open up your senses and just hear and look and take in what you want to take in and just leave the rest out. I Getting out of your head, I, I hear, you know, this makes so much sense. You know, for years I walked home. You know, it was like right. a four-kilometer walk from the downtown core of Ottawa to the, you know, my little quiet neighborhood and it wasn't until like the last 500 meters i started decompressing and opening up and stopped thinking about the day's work and started relaxing yeah. and and then i would hear birds in the trees it takes that long to get out of your head think too the act of fishing because i can easily walk along a river with the dogs and 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 still be thinking about work and all the things i need to do and not even paying attention to what's around me but when i'm fishing I'm paying 100% attention to fishing. And when I go fishing with people, because I'm always going fishing with people, I want to do that. I don't want to have, you know, okay, get on my boat and let's have a, you know, you're going to tell me for the next eight hours how horrible your job is, your boss or your wife or your kids or whatever, right? Or your life. And (laughs) it's those people I don't want to fish with very often. Oh, no. Oh, or politics or, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrible, right? You're stuck there with these yeah. people on a boat. And you're oh, a captive yeah. audience. And, and I just want to just get away and just fish. Like, just focus yep. on fishing. That's why I love the kayak. <laughs> a single seater? Yeah, you're kind of just there yourself. But yeah, like, honestly, like, you know, for sure, for me, you know, I'll be in my kayak sometimes fishing away and I'm just throwing cast after cast after cast. And I'm in my head, I'm like, wow, I really should have a drink. It's like 90 degrees out here. I'm on the water. And I'm like, but I'm casting and casting and casting. Like, you know, even to take a drink for me is something that I consciously have to think about when I'm fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find sometimes though, when you get into that sort of repetitive casting, that it's also can become like a, it just becomes so automated. You're, you start thinking about, you, you know, you get into your head and you start disconnecting and thinking and, you know, being dis- yeah, just true, but I want to be disconnecting. And I think that's what yeah. does it is because, yeah, you don't need to think once you've been fishing for a while, you don't need to think about it. And, yeah. you know, fishing too, for me, like, 
you know, it's, it, it just gives you a new confidence and, you know, and, and you learn new things. And I think you should never start, stop learning. And fishing is something you can never stop learning about. So oh, for sure. it, it, it gives you a, a whole new confidence in yourself and you're saying, Hey, I, I can do this. You know, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this or, you know, it's something I really love to do too. So, you know, I, you know, fishermen, like that passion, like I can just sit and talk about fishing all day with people and most fishermen can. And I've, you know, yeah. met lots of people on the banks where three hours later, we're still sitting there talking about fishing and it's like in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's, it really is like, you think about the fishing lures and then fishing rods and the different techniques and, and you think, well, who needs all that equipment? Well, when you're trying to figure out how to catch a fish and it's a different time of year or a different species or a different location, it's a brand new game every time. Like you can come back to the same, you know, your river every day and it, it can be a different problem to solve. Like oh, where exactly. are the fish now? They were here yesterday. Where are they gone? Well, like what you happened? Got a different, the water looks different today. The wind's coming from whatever it is. It could be anything like, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the lures and stuff, it, it can add up. But, you know, for me too, like I've only been fishing a couple of years now and I've fly fished, I've center pin float fished, I've spin spinning reels, I have bait casters that I love. You know, I want to try tankara fishing. I want to try every, I've ice fished. I have a full ice fishing setup. Oh, I just want to try every kind of fishing there is. You're a jack of all trades. Watch out. You're going to be good. You're going to be a, a little bit good at a lot of things. <laughs> I, think, I think so too, but I think a lot of the fishing crosses over and every yeah. type of fishing that you do teaches you something else about the other kinds of fishing. Yeah, I agree. I agree because, you know, it's all about being connected and understanding what's going on down there. And, exactly. uh, and in the end, you know, like a good angler, you can just give them a stick with a string tied to it and they're going to be, catching fish you know exactly. while you're sitting there with your hundred dollar million fishing rods and lures and everything going i can't catch a thing but it's, That's for it's sure yeah it's about being connected it's it's exactly. about understanding yeah yeah. And that's like, you know, the whole thing with nature, too. And I think that you yeah. hit the nail on the head right there. It's about being connected because being connected to nature when you feel so disconnected from your own life in these times of trauma or struggle that, you know, it makes you feel a part of something again. Yeah, it makes you feel connected in a, in a, in a successful way. Like you said, you, you solve the puzzle in a and much bigger way. Yeah, in a much bigger way. It's not just an actual puzzle, but it's 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 you're connecting with with a whole life force out there. Right. And it kind of diminishes those issues that you're dealing with in some way. You know, it's like, well, that's not as important as it used to be anymore. Yeah. The perspective, the perspective changes, eh? Yes. And so, you know, even with my fire and even in this situation, I feel like, you know, bad things can happen, but lots of times good things can come out of them. And it's that, you know, it's just to try and start seeing the positive side of things. And even when I go fishing, and I think there was a whole, uh, I, I think you posted about the lucky, about being lucky. And I feel like, you know, you know, being lucky is just all a part of our mindset and like being positive and 
you know, and, and saying, I'm going to go out there and do this. It's all, I, I feel like we're magnets and that's the whole, the whole truth is really that whatever we put out is what we get back. And I hear so many people saying, oh, the fish won't bite for me. The fish aren't biting for me, but you know what? Maybe it's how you're, you're approaching it mentally. The energy. I agree. Exactly. Like, if, it, it, like in anything, in a relationship with people, with nature, it's the same thing. If you come at it with a negative energy, you're not going to have a good experience. Exactly. Yes, that's a hundred percent right. Yeah, it's not luck. You know, they no. say they say the person who goes fishing and just goes to the same spot and casts the same lure the same way, and, and they say, "Oh, I guess they're not biting today," and uh, you know, they go home. And yeah. then, you know, one day out of 20, they go and they catch a fish. Oh, I got lucky. You know? Yeah, exactly. There's no, <laughs> you know, I, I think somebody told me a couple of weeks ago, luck equals uh, preparedness meets opportunity. That's a And that's all part of it, but it's also, uh, you know, your mental mindset is 100%. I, I feel that has to do with it. So pre- preparation, having the opportunity to, to try – and then exactly. being, being positive in your approach. And, you know, they say the toughest thing, you talk to people who run these giant marathons and they say the hardest thing is just getting up and putting on your shoes in the morning. Because exactly. Just, because you're going to, I'm staying in bed. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to, it's going to be, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm not going to finish. I'm going to finish last. I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm not trained well enough. There's a million reasons not to do it. The hardest well, thing is just to get out, swing your legs out of bed, put your shoes on and go. Exactly. And that's how we can be in our lives. You know, we can have things happen to us and say, you know what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to deal with my challenges or struggles or disabilities. I'm just going to stay here. But, you know, once you start opening up your mind and and, and giving yourself that opportunity to to gain that confidence back in yourself and know you can do things. It, it can totally change your life. And that's basically what being outside in the kayak and fishing has done for me. So yeah, this literally saved my life. You know, I was just sitting in my house and in, in, in isolating and it's, it's no way to live. And once I found this, like it just opened up a whole new world for me. So I'm so glad I found this. Thank you so much, Sonia. It's uh been really really enlightening man i'm learning stuff from you let's keep let's (laughs) keep keep sharing and uh we'll we'll talk about this again and you know maybe you're going to become make this a profession and just you know become a therapist and make help other people i've heard about christine lapierre's program and i've always thought man i'd love to go do that you know but i think she uh she uh, is dealing with uh first uh uh, first responders oh yeah but you know i i love that she's doing that and yeah. using nature as part of the healing process. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lawrence. People with vision loss will experience low light or bright light differently. RP means having a restrictive range of vision, which means just the central part of the eye is actually providing visual stimulation. That's where all the cones are and that requires a lot of good quality light to function properly. Around the periphery, you have more rods and the further you move away from the center, the more rods you have and the less cones. So that is getting into your night vision in a sense and also your reflex vision right around the very edges. A friend of mine who had the central vision, he had RP, he had an infrared scope that allowed him to see in the dark. 
Now, it's not that practical to be using a scope for seeing things. I used to use one myself going through school to read the chalkboard. But you know what? In a pinch, it can certainly help out. But people like me that have macular degeneration, who are just left with the rods, we have to deal with how to transition from bright light to low light. Rods are not as good at detecting color, but they're good at detecting movement. Bears and many other animals have a lot of rods so they can see things happening and respond to it quickly. They're not so concerned with exact detail because they're using their nose and their hearing and they're in around a lot of thick bush. So there's not much to see anyways, other than the leaves are right in front of their faces. That's why camouflage works so well. As long as you don't move, they don't see you. But the instant you move, they're spooked. When I still had some sight, I had to protect my eyes from bright light so I wouldn't be night blinded or snow blinded. When I went outside in the wintertime during the day and there was all that bright snow around, the pupils of my eyes would contract so that just the light would hit the center of my eye, of my retina. But of course, I had no cones left there. So I was literally blind. I saw very little detail in bright light when my pupils were contracted. I had to get my pupils to dilate. And to do that, I would come in from the light and walk into the room and I'd close my eyes for about a minute and then open them again. And that would stimulate my pupils to dilate so that more light would hit the edges of my retina where I still had some rods that could provide with a little bit of functional vision. Same thing if I went outside at night into the dark, close my eyes, just stand still for a minute, close my eyes, let the pupils dilate, open my eyes, and I could see not so bad out there in low light. There are ways to take advantage of the vision you have left. Just work with what you got. Don't deny it. Don't try to pretend it's not there anymore. I know the temptation when you're switching from functional vision to sight replacement type ways of getting through life is to ignore the vision you have left and just focus on using your other senses but you still have some vision and it's nice to have it even if it's just for aesthetic just for watching a sunset or a moon or whatever it is you can see a candlelight hey take advantage of it before that's gone trust me twice i've spent time living near or above the arctic circle the first time was while I was conducting research in the Northwest Territories and living in the city of Inuvik. I was traveling around to different communities like Tuktoyaktuk on the uh, coast of the Arctic Ocean. The other time was when I spent a year living in northern Sweden in Umeå, where I was conducting research and lecturing there at the university. At that time I had some vision, but I was using a guide dog to get around. When people think about the darkness in the far north, they think about their own experience, what it's like for the sun to rise and set. You know, the closer you are to the equator, the center line of the earth, the more immediate these things happen. The sun comes straight up and comes straight back down. Sunrise and sunset is over very quickly. Up in the Arctic, it's not like that at all. The sun just hovers around the horizon, dips down, goes down halfway and dips back up. It's like the sun is permanently rising or setting and you have that glow in the sky that seems to last forever. But when it goes down, it goes down and it's down for a while. You know, you could have 20 hours of darkness and in extreme situations, you'll have a few weeks where there's no sun at all. 
For people who prefer low light conditions, like me at that time, it was kind of a magical time for me. I didn't mind it at all. You know, I could see pretty well in low light situations. Well, that's when I could see the best with the vision I had. And when the sun went down, I had the guide dog. And dogs can see well in the dark. Well, other people around me were thinking about the loss of the sunlight and growing ever more depressed as the light dissipated. I never really experienced that. There you go. One person's wasteland is another person's paradise. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions at feedback at ami.ca. Thanks to Mark Affalo. He's our technical producer. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.